Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 9 to 16. I'll be reading from the ESV. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine, and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips dream nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoes are an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits. Hannah with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes with all choice spices. A garden fountain, a well of living water, and flowing streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind, blow open my garden, let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruit. Amen. Now, the, the message that I have for you today is a little bit different from most messages that I preached here. It will require quite a bit of, um, it's like a different lens and a different focus uh, for us today. Unsan uh, so beautifully read for us from the book of Song of Songs. And just out of curiosity, who here has studied in depth the book of Song of Songs? All right. Okay. So a few people. Okay. That's good. All right. So this is one of those books that if, even if you've been a Christian for quite a long time, it's actually relatively uh, common for you to not ever have studied this book. The reason for it is it, in first sight, it looks very intimidating. And thankfully, I didn't give Unsan a very kind of embarrassing you know, uh, passage to read because we could have gone there today, but we didn't. That's not what we're going to do today. Uh, but uh, today's message, it will require uh, a little bit of supernatural effort on our part as we're receiving the word to fight against two different things. One thing is over-familiarity. This feeling of like, oh yeah, of course. Oh yeah, I've heard that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. God loves me, so let's get on with other things, right? So there's a sense of overfamiliarity that often uh, will guard our hearts in a way that doesn't allow us to receive the word. And I believe that it might not be a new word, but I think it's a very necessary and timely word for us today. And the second thing is distrust. So overfamiliarity and distrust. Now, I think everybody, every good Christian should scrutinize what is being preached from the pulpit. Just because I have the label of a pastor doesn't mean that I could say anything I want here and you should not take it face value. Anything I say from the pulpit, you should take back to the word and prayerfully see that what I'm saying is in line with scripture because I'm not the ultimate authority. The word is right And so there is a difference between being discerning, weighing things, taking it back to the the, uh, prayer closet, and distrust. 
where there's a closeness of heart, where there's a hardness of heart, and it's hard for you to receive. And so today's message is titled, The Weight of Your Yes. The Weight of Your Yes. Now, we are in a generation that has been groomed and ingrained to scrutinize what is shown to us. We live in a generation that was raised by marketing where you're not supposed to take things face value. You're supposed to examine what they're saying, examine their claims, read the fine print. There's no such thing as a free lunch. There's always strings attached. We are, we are so raised. This is the air that we breathe. We are raised in a generation where we don't put our guard down, where you don't set yourself up for disappointment, where you don't give your trust at the very beginning. You do your research. You better know what you're talking about. You don't hit the purchase button until you've read all the reviews. Am I right? Right? If it's going to be a restaurant that you're going to go to, it better have at least 4.5 stars. You know, otherwise you're not going there kind of thing, right? And sadly, you know, this is a great thing for us to, to have, but it's not something that we can just turn off like a switch. We don't just apply to marketing. We don't just apply it when we choose a restaurant to eat at. We don't apply it just when we're deciding whether to get the new iPhone or to book that Airbnb or make that online purchase. We filter this for our entire life. We apply it to our relationships with our significant others. We apply it with our friendships. We apply it to our family members. And we apply it to God as well. It's a lens that we cannot fully get rid of. We don't completely trust from the get-go. We don't always trust God's intentions. We don't always trust his plans. We don't, all, we don't always trust that he's got our backs. We don't always trust that he knows what's best for us. We don't always trust that he'll give us what we need and when we need it. And until we completely learn to trust him with open hearts, there's always going to be a part in our hearts that we're going to withhold from him. We don't give our, our hearts fully often. We give them a little bit, and then maybe a little bit less, and then we take back a little bit, and then we backtrack a little bit. And that's just the human state of our hearts. We don't do this intentionally or knowingly. We do it very subconsciously. This is the air we breathe. You know, we are a generation that wasn't just raised on marketing, uh, on this idea of like over-promising and then lack of delivery, right? It's also a generation that was raised in broken homes where the safest and most secure relationships that should ground us with an unshakable sense of stability and acceptance and support, that isn't there for this generation. That does so much in the state of one's heart, in, the, in the, our ability to even open up and trust that this person will be there. They will not bail. They will not betray. They will not run away. They won't, you know, jump ship when things get hard. It does something in our hearts. This is a generation that has been groomed to fear commitment. Everything in us is like, well, you better prove that you're worthy of my trust. You better prove that you're worthy of this commitment. We've been groomed that way. A generation that experiences 50% of 
50% divorce rates inside and outside the church. It's not just the, oh, they don't know Jesus. It's inside the church as well. And so all of these things combined lead us to this place where even when we are dealing with God, the one who cannot fail, the, cannot, the one who cannot bail, the one who cannot, you know, betray us, we approach him with the sense of, but can I really trust him? Can I really give my whole heart to him? Can I entrust him with my plans, my career, my family, my decisions? We approach God with this kind of way. This is a struggle for all of us to some extent. Because all of our lives would look so different. Just bear with me for a moment. Can you imagine what your life would look like if you had 100% full trust in God? Can you imagine what your decision making would look like? What your finances would look like? What your workplace efforts would look like? how you deal with your family, how you deal with your romantic life. Every part of our lives would be radically revolutionized if we were to give God our hearts fully. Our lives would be 180 degrees from where we are right now. Now, I've been, I would say I've been a Christian for about 25 years or so. I've been a Christian for about 25 years. And over the course of my years as a Christian, there were... Two things, in the course of 25 years, two things that revolutionized my spiritual walk and gave me the power to let go of certain things and be able to embrace other things. There's two things that have the power to redirect my desires and infuse me with a sense of purpose, infuse me with a sense of passion. Number one, it was a supernatural revelation of God's love for me. It sounds so simple, but this is life-changing. I believe the day that I began to just scrape the surface and began to understand that God's love for me, I can't even understand. Like, why would He love me? Doesn't He know me? Hasn't He seen my past? Doesn't He know my weakness? Doesn't He see me in the secret place? I, st- I still have a hard time grappling the fact that God's love for me is so complete, so unguarded, so vulnerable, so given all at once. He's not just like, okay, we'll see how Susie does with this and this much. It's like God gave his whole heart to me. And the day that I began to understand that was a day that I started experiencing deep inner transformation. Until then, Christianity was just a bunch of rules for me to understand, or or a social club for me to attend on Sundays. It wasn't this living, breathing relationship with a God that wants me. He doesn't tolerate me. He's not like, well, okay, Susie, let's let her in. No, he, he loves me. He pursues me. He's passionate about me. He's jealous for me. That was the first thing that had revolutionary power in my spiritual walk to begin to transform me from the inside. But the second thing, and this is what we're going to be talking about today, 
If the first thing was a supernatural revelation of God's love for me, the second thing was a supernatural revelation of what my love means to him. What my affection means to him. My yes. It actually means something to him. He doesn't take it lightly. He's not waiting for, well, we'll we'll wait for the grand gesture. We'll wait for the moment she lays her life down. We'll wait for that big moment. No, he values and he weighs every single yes in my heart. The moment I began to understand that, that every small moment that I choose to say yes to him, it matters to him. It moves his heart. He cares about it deeply. The moment I began to understand that, I began to understand what my heart looks like to him and how he values it. Now, let me give you a little bit of context for, you know, the book of Song of Songs. It's a pretty intimidating book at times. It talks about, you know, the relationship between a lover and her beloved and his beloved, the journey of intimacy between a man and a woman. And it's pretty explicit, right? It's pretty explicit terms. Um, And this is not something that we can shy away from. Um, I don't know if you were raised like in a purity culture, but I was raised in a purity culture and sex and sexuality was seen as like, well, you don't talk about that at church and it's a little bit, you know, like sinful and it's a little bit dirty and you don't really talk about. No, it's something that God created. It's something that God inbuilt, engineered into our design. That's part of who we are. That's part of God's perfect design for humankind. So it's not this like, Oh, taboo thing. It's a God-ordained, it's a God-designed, a God-given part of our lives. It is, it is you know, something that is a gift, but the only way to experience and cultivate this gift is within God-given parameters. That's the one difference, right? And the God-given parameters that we see in the Bible, they are within the marriage covenant between a man and a woman. Now, I'm not going to talk about that today. I'm going to talk about something else. The book of Song of Songs, although at face value, it is explicitly a relationship between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. That's not what we'll be focusing on today because although it depicts human love between a lover and her beloved in a much deeper, in a much more eternal sense, it is a book that details the journey of love between God and mankind. An in-depth study, it's almost like an x-ray, an in-depth study into the nitty-gritty of the human heart as it interacts with a divine pursuer. There will be a day when marriage between man and wife is, is no more. You guys know that Jesus said that, right? You know, like even those of you guys who are happily married... You're going to be happily married for like, what, 70 years? 70 years, maybe? Yeah. But after that, in the resurrection, there's not going to be any marriage, right? So enjoy it while you can. <laughs> Appreciate your spouse because you have a numbered, uh, numbered days to uh, enjoy your marriage. There will be a day when the marriage between a man and a woman will be no more, but the word of God remains forever. And the love between God and mankind, as detailed in the Bible will go on forever. And so this book delineates with astonishing insight 
the human heart, what happens to us as we face the many seasons we walk with God. There's seasons, you know, we've all been through those seasons where God just woos you. It's, it's what the book of Song of Songs talks about. It's like you're sitting in the, in the shade of this apple tree and you're just enjoying his presence. And, and there's no striving and he just wants you there and you feel his love embracing you. That's a season when he woos us and draws us into his kindness where we just sit in his presence and that is enough. There's also seasons where we look for him in the night and can't find him. Where we have to learn to get up and seek him and pursue him. Fighting the feeling of abandonment. Fighting the feeling of distrust. And knowing that this is also a season that he ordains for us to walk through. There's also seasons where we get hurt by circumstances in life. When our love for him is tested. There are seasons that will require courage and and an openness of heart to become vulnerable to him and allow him into our lives. There are seasons where we partner with him. It's not just me sitting under the apple tree in his shade. It's me getting up and partnering with God, going up into the hills and down into the vineyards. This is how the book of Song of Songs describes it. So there's all these different seasons that the human heart walks with this divine pursuer. In this section that we'll be looking at today, we get an insider's look at how God sees our love for him. How our affection can move the heart of an unmovable God, a God who needs nothing, who has no lack, who's perfect in and of himself. He'd be perfectly fine without Susie Park in existence. Perfectly fine. Still 100% perfect. And yet he is moved by my affection. Even when it feels very small. Even when it feels so small and insufficient. We're going to talk about how our affection evolves over time. It's not a stagnant thing. It's a dynamic journey that we walk with him. And we're also going to talk about how our affection is voluntary and God designed it this way and how it's unique to him. Yoon, you can't love God the way Susie can. And I can't love God the way Yoon can. You can only give to God what you have to give to him. Your affection is voluntary. It's up to you to give it or not. And it's also unique. And so there's three different ways in which we see in this short passage, God describing our love. The first way, it is love that is described like a glance. And this is, this is crazy. We get to move God with a glance. Now I'm going to take you down memory road right now. Who here remembers their middle school crush? <laughs> come, be honest, people. Come on. All right. You remember your middle school crush. You remember how little it took for you to get butterflies in your stomach, for you to get a ridiculous grin on your face. Like, this is really embarrassing, but, you know, I've always been a journaler. Like, since fifth grade or so, I've always journaled. And when I look back on my journals from middle school, it is so, so embarrassing. It's like, when I look at it, I was like, oh, my gosh, this girl needs to get a grip. But it's like very, very small things. Like, he looked at me across the room today. (laughs) 
Or like, we got grouped up to do this project. It's going to be the best project ever. Or like, oh, he knew my name. I never introduced myself to him, but he knew who I was. Or we got to stand next to each other in the cafeteria line. Like it was so, it's so silly, so stupid. But all it took was something so minimal and my heart would be pounding and I would get the stupid grin on my face and I'd be like, oh my gosh, this day is amazing. I'm never going to... And then I'd go home and journal about it and I'd tell my friends about it. It didn't take very much. All it took was something very, very minimal and it would just make my day. Now we all have those moments and we can all go back and remember no matter how long ago it was your middle school crush, your fifth grade crush, your, you know, your high school crush. You remember all those things because even as small as these gestures were, it changed everything about you. It meant the world to you. Like, oh my gosh, like I, I caught his eyes across the gym today. Like it, it, it was just, it was, it made your week, it made your month. And it was something so minimal. I love how unabashed God is when he portrays himself as one who is overcome, captivated, ravished by just one glance from our eyes, one jewel from our necklace. How vulnerable does God make himself to allow us lowly, imperfect, fragile, fickle, forgetful, selfish people to move his heart with just one glance from our eyes. Now, I remember there was a time, um, maybe like about like 12 years or so ago, where I was in a really difficult season, probably one of the most difficult seasons that I've gone through in my life, where I was trying to do everything I could and I still felt like I was falling short. Like I would try to carve out just five minutes, just five minutes to pray, just five minutes to listen to a worship song and, and then go about my day. And I was maxed out, stretched thin. I was, you know, just at the mercy of all these uh, different pressures that were in my life. And it was one of those moments where I felt like I was failing God, like man. And I was a pastor, by the way, during this time. I felt like I was failing God. I was like, man, what is this? God... Like, I, I can't even, I can't even give you five minutes. Like, I can't even, I can't even give you a song. Like, I feel like I was failing at every turn. And it was one of those times in my life where, man, I felt like so disappointed in myself and sure that God was very disappointed in me as well. And I remember that during this time, a friend of mine, a very dear friend of mine, they emailed me and this is all they said. They said, Hey, I was praying for you the other day, and the verse that I got was Song of Songs 4-9. And I remember when I, 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 I remember still very clearly, I opened up this email when I was, like, I was a full-time seminary student, full-time intern pastor, and then I was doing like a part-time job at a cafe. And so I was like cleaning out the, um, what do you call it, the, the dishwasher and mopping the floors and all of that. In the middle of all that, I just happened to open up my email on the phone. And I was like, Song of Songs 4-9, what is that? And I opened it up, my Bible app, and it, it read, right, you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride, with just one look from your eyes. Just one look from your eyes, one jewel from your necklace. And I remember, like, in the middle of that cafe, like, I just burst out crying 
Because it was one of those moments where I felt like, God, I can't give you anything but just this one look. It's all I can give you right now. This is all that, that I can afford to give you right now. I don't think it's enough. And then reading this affirmation from the book of Song of Songs, hey, that's enough to, to move my heart. I know what it's costing you right now. I know your circumstances right now. I'm not demanding a three-day fast and a you know, 40-day whatever. I, all I want is a glance. And that's enough to move me. I'm not waiting for this grand gesture for me to turn my heart to you. All it takes is this minimal, small thing that you feel like is nothing. You feel like is insufficient. But that's enough to captivate my heart. I see you. It matters to me. The fact that you chose to spend those five minutes in the way that you did, it matters to me. Now, how often do we forget that as believers? We live with this sense of lack and insecurity and insufficiency and condemnation where like, man, I just wish I could, I could get my act together and maybe then God would know my heart. Maybe then God would know that I love him. But can I encourage you with this today? Whatever it is that you are doing today, it matters to Him. It matters to Him what you're doing today. It matters. It matters to God if you've served on tech for 10 years and did it as an act of love. It matters to God if you show up with your baby at 9 a.m. so that your husband can lead worship. It matters to Him that you commute an hour and a half to be at church today. It matters to God that you choose to stay after service to reach out to someone who might want to grab lunch later. It matters to God that those 30 minutes that you have in, in your commuting time on your way to work, you choose to put on headphones, and man, okay, I'm just going to get a few verses in today. I'm just going to read just a few verses today. This is all I'm going to be able to do. As soon as I, you know, I, I hit the office, I know that it's going to be a crazy day for me, but just these five minutes... I'm just going to give him these five minutes. It matters to him. He is moved with just one glance. This should be an encouragement for people who are in different stages of life as well. For parents. Yeah, you can't carve out a three hour long QT. Please don't do that. Your poor kid is going to be neglected. The man, if in between feedings... You have like just 10 minutes. Okay, I'm going to make the lullaby a worship song. And I've heard Brian do this, you know, as well. You know, she's going to grow up with very high standards for lullabies because your lullabies are amazing. It's like a worship time. And you give that for your family, but you also give that to God. I can't imagine what it looks like to love God as a parent, where your time and your attention and all of that is just stretched so thin. But whatever it is that you're able to give to him, believe me, he cares. It matters to him. He knows the cost. For you to give five minutes might be the equivalent of my two hours. He knows the cost. He knows what you're saying no to in order to say yes to him. He knows how much it costs you. And he values that he appreciates that it moves his heart it makes his day as if his middle school crush was looking at him across the cafeteria it moves him it it changes his whole attitude his whole outlook it matters to him this is the kind of god that we worship and let me tell you this is a god who needs nothing from you by the way 
He's the only being in the whole universe that is self-originating, self-standing, self-dependent, self-completing. He doesn't need you to, quote-unquote, complete me, right? As Pastor JP preached last uh, two weeks ago, even before he created mankind, he was already complete. The Godhead in itself is complete. Perfect love flowing from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit for all eternity past. They needed nothing. They didn't need to be completed by creation. They didn't need someone to tell, come on, I'm just so insecure. Just tell me that you love me. Tell me that you appreciate me. He's not a God who created out of insecurity and need. He's a God who created out of the overflow of a self-originating love. And this is the God that says to broken, imperfect, fickle human beings, you have captivated me. My sister, my bride, just one glance, just one glance, just one look, just five minutes, just one touch, just one verse, and I'm undone. It's not just the big things and the big gestures and the big movements and moments that God celebrates. It's the small movements, small moments that move his heart. The split second when we're about to give in to anxiety and we choose to pray instead. The moment that we get up out of our beds and we're like, okay, I'm going to go to church today. And we make that decision. The 30 minutes of commute when we choose to spend that time with him. The moment we lift our eyes to him when we're feeling lost or confused. These are the things that make his heart explode with love. Don't wait until that grand gesture moment. Don't wait until like, okay, now this is really going to please him. God is moved by even one glance, one moment, one moment of just turning to him, one moment of saying yes to him, one moment of saying, God, you still matter to me. God, you're enough for me. Those things matter to him. So our love is like a glance, and it's a glance that gets to move an unmovable God. It gets to, it gets to overflow the heart of a God who's already overflowing. It's a God that doesn't need you. He doesn't need you. You know that, right? Sorry to break the news. He doesn't need you. But He wants you. And that's the mystery of God's love. He still chooses you. He still desires you. He doesn't need you. But He wants you. Our love to Him is like a glance that is able to move the unmovable God. The second way that our love is described in this passage is a love like wine. Love like wine. I grew up, I was born and raised in Chile, for those of you guys who don't know, and it's a, it's, it's a, it's a wine country. That's, the two things that we export is copper and then uh, wine or grapes, but wine mostly. Wine, it has this unique you know, quality to it that it actually deepens over time. The, the, the more recent it is, the less ripe it is, the less it's, it has been, you know, uh, like, what do you call it? Fermenting? Fermenting? Um, the, the cheaper it is. You can get Chilean wine for like samchan, I'm pretty sure, like in a box in Home Plus. But the really expensive ones are the ones who have been there for years. They have been carefully guarded over years. And with every year, the taste deepens and deepens. And in Song of Songs, it says that our love to Him, in His eyes, our love to Him is much better 
than wine. Our love that deepens over time. And this is, this is you know, something that I want us to emphasize today. It's not despite circumstances, but it's because of circumstances. Your love gets deeper with time, not in spite of it, but because you go through things together, because you have to endure things together, because you go through different seasons together, your love deepens over time, not despite circumstances, but because of them. Now, this is the biggest, well, okay, not maybe the biggest, one of the biggest lies that I believe the enemy plants in our minds, and that is that passionate love for God is for them young'uns, right? Oh, like the college student or the, or the high schooler who just doesn't know any better. They just haven't been through life. They just haven't been through loss, disappointment, or getting fired, or financial instability. They just haven't been through that. And so this passionate, burning love for Jesus, it's like for the young'uns. Just let them, let them do that. I believe that's one of the biggest lies of the enemy. Where we believe that passionate, zealous love for Jesus is reserved for a certain demographic, a certain age group, and a certain point you're supposed to outgrow that. Like, oh, I'm not a college student anymore. I can't do that stuff anymore. I believe that's one of the biggest lies of the enemy. It's not biblical, by the way. Right? It's not biblical. When is it like, oh, and then he turned 20 and, you know, he started, you know, loving Jesus a little less. Or like, oh, he started attending the temple a little less. No, there's no cutoff point. It's completely arbitrary. And I believe that's a lie from the enemy. Now, let me vision cast something for you. There's many things I want in life. I love pastoring. I love doing ministry. I love leading house of prayer. I love sewing into leadership and relationships and gifting. I love feeling like every year maybe I'm taking a step uh, forward. But my one ambition in life, if you've heard me preach this before, this is old news to you. My one ambition in life is to be a shriveled up 80-year-old woman who's madly in love with Jesus. Like the kind of woman who at 80 years old would still weep at his word. They would be so moved by worship it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing in the room. It doesn't matter what I look like. It doesn't matter what I sound like. I want to be that kind of woman. That's my vision for my life. Sure, I'll do pastoring. Sure, I'll do other stuff. But that's not my main ambition in life. My main ambition in life is to become an old woman who is crazy in love with Jesus. Jesus furiously pursuing him with every year. That sings songs to Jesus when no one else is listening that has been through pain and loss and discouragement and still has an open heart to him that hasn't shut herself off, hasn't hardened over the years, but one that has given herself each year more and more to him. I want, I want the kind of life where the closer I get to seeing him face to face, the more I know him. It's almost like I want to get to that point where I can almost like reach out and touch him. Like I can, I can almost see him every time I close my eyes. That's how intimately I want to know him. I want to grow in friendship with the Lord over the years. I don't want to grow distant through the years. I want to become closer to him over the years. I want to walk with him all the days of my life. Not just when I'm young, 
Not just when I'm undistracted. Oh, not just when I don't have a family. I want to walk with him all the days of my life. I want to walk with him through my entire life and love Jesus through it all. Because I believe the most potent love, the most passionate zeal, the most profound surrender is available to those who have experienced life. Those who have gone through the good, they have gone through the bad. You know, the passage talks about north wind and south wind. North wind is the cold winds from the north. South wind is the warm winds from the south. They've been through the good and the bad. And that only allows for one thing. It allows the fragrance of their love to spread. It cultivates. It's not despite the winds. It's because of the winds that love for Christ is spread, that it grows, that is cultivated. My desire is that when it's all said and done, the one thing that will be said about me is that I love Jesus with everything. What other ambition could I go for in life? What could be greater? What could I want in life more than that? At the end of my life, I want to be able to say to him, this heart is fully yours, God. Good times, bad times, whatever may come, may that bring forth the fragrance of my love to him. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat its choicest fruit. Let him have it all. Let him delight and savor it all. Let his heart be captivated and moved and ravished by my love. Let him be overcome by my costly yes. It's not a cheap yes. It's a costly yes. My love to him is like wine. I want it to deepen over time. With every year, new nuances, new flavors, new things that I have to give to him. With every year, let my love be to him like wine. And lastly, our love is depicted as a locked garden, a fountain sealed. We have to choose to give ourselves to him. It's a choice that we get to make. Do you know that there's one thing that God is after? One thing. You know, this, this whole book talks a lot about different things but he's after one thing and that is voluntary love he's after volu- not forced love he's after voluntary love did you know you are the only creature in all of creation that can give God what he's after voluntary love he created the stars but they can't help but obey He created the Grand Canyon, the mountains, the seas, the fish, the birds of the air, the the, the, um, flowers in the field. He created the birds that migrate in their patterns and they're coming and going, but they can't help but obey. They can't help but obey. God created everything from the seasons to the weather patterns, the smallest microscopic organism to the vastness of the Grand Canyon, deepest, darkest parts of the ocean floor to the thin air of the Everest. He created all of that and all of it obeys the command of God. But there's one creature in all of creation that has been given the ability to love with volition, free will. 
That is you and I. That is mankind. You have a choice in the matter. And the fact that you have that choice gives weight to your yes. A yes means nothing if there's no other options. Right? If like, if I'm saying, hey, let's go eat. Burger King or Burger King? Right? Doesn't mean anything, but hey. We could go here, we could go here, we could go here, we could go here. And you're like, out of all these great options, let's choose this one. That has more weight. It says something about that choice. Your choice, because you have that choice, gives weight to your yes. Did you know that this is the one thing that you have control over your life? You can't control what happens to your body. You can't control what happens at your workplace, what people do to you, what they don't do to you, what they say to you, what they don't say to you. You can't control things like a pandemic. Come on, like this is one of those lessons where like, oh yeah, we were definitely not in control, right? The one thing that you do have control over is whether you choose to give away your heart and who you do that to. I can't do that for you as a pastor. Your house church leader can't do that for you. Your parents can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. You alone get to choose what you do with your heart. You alone have full agency over what you choose to do with your heart. Circumstances may be forced upon you. Decisions, you know, made on your behalf. What happens to your job, your health, your finances, how your life pans out. Maybe all those things are outside of your control. But the one thing that you have full agency over, full decision-making power over, is what and who you give your heart away to. Unsan, I can't do that for you. Only you can give your heart to God. Heather, I can't do that for you. You are going to have to choose to give your heart to God. It doesn't matter if I'm the greatest preacher on earth, which I'm not, you know. I can't, I can't convince anybody to give their heart to God. I can't do that for you. It's going to be your choice. It's going to be your heart to give away. You know, there's a story that I heard a long time ago. And it was about this Indian prince. This is back when India was under British rule, right? It was a British colony for a long time. And so this prince was very young, like a teenager... He's very young, and yet he was the ruler of his nation. And in his nation, they found this diamond, this precious stone of incredible value. Like there was nothing like it on earth. And he took this, and he gave it as a gift to the British king. They put it, they took it, they realized how valuable it was. They put it in a display. They didn't let anybody you know, get come close to it. They guarded it because they knew it was of immeasurable value. Now, many years passed after that, and the prince got older, he got wiser, he now understood what it took to run a country, he now understood the value of money, he understood now that he had years of governing under his belt, he, he, he knew what was what, right? And once he had gotten older, he visited Great Britain, and he asked to see that diamond that he had given years ago. And so they were a little bit nervous. They're like, is he here to take it back? <laughs> right? And they're like, okay, well, okay. Well, here it is. Here's a display. And he looked at it. He said, can you take it out and kind of hold it? And they're like more nervous now. They're like, okay, okay. 
Here you go. And he holds it in his hand. He looks at it for a while. And the, the king is near him, of course. And he says, King, when I gave this to you as a gift, I was just a little boy. I didn't know the value of this. I didn't understand that this is of immeasurable cost. And I gave it to you. But now, as an older man, knowing what it costs, I choose to give this to you once again. Now, for many of us, that's what walking with Christ looks like. When I think about the first time I gave my heart to the Lord, I didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't know the cost. I didn't know what it would look like. I didn't know the ins and outs. I didn't read the fine print. I was like, yes, Lord, all of this is yours. I'll, you say the word and I'll go. You lead me, I'll follow. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do. There's no, you know, no conditions, none of that. I didn't know what I was talking about. You know, 25 years ago, I just, I didn't know what it meant to give my life away. All I knew is that I wanted to give him my all. And maybe I was naive, maybe I was impulsive, all of that. But today, knowing that cost, knowing what happened the 25 years in between, knowing what it looks like to go through a really rough season, knowing what it looks like to lose people you love, knowing what it looks like to go through instability and transition, knowing all those things, I believe God is asking me the same question again. Will you still give me your yes, knowing what it costs? Will you count the cost and still give me your yes? It's a different kind of yes. Let's say it's a weightier kind of yes. Will I choose to give myself fully to him once again? Even when I know man, there's going to be times where I doubt his leadership. I doubt if he'll come through. I doubt if what he wants for my life is really what I want for my life. I'll have moments of, of distrust. I'll have, I'll have moments of fear. Moments where I feel unseen or taken advantage of or whatever the case may be. Will I still give him my yes? And it's a yes that only I can give. And I can choose to give it to him today. I'm not waiting for a magical moment. I can choose to give him that yes today. Knowing the cost, knowing the price, will you choose to still say yes to him today? Now, I don't say this lightly. It's not a light matter. There have been moments in my life when God leads me to renew my vows before him. There are moments after major loss where I hear the still small voice of God saying, will you still trust me through this? There are moments after major disappointment when the ground beneath me crumbles. I don't know if I'm ever going to get back on my feet again. And I have no one to lean on. I hear his still small voice asking, will you still choose me? Will you still choose this life of following me? Now, I haven't lived a super hard life. 
But I've had my fair share of moments that were costly. I've gone through church implosions, not just at this church, but at other churches as well. When you see people you deeply love decimated by hurt and abuse and betrayal. I've lost friends to horrible diseases. I've been cut off from family before, not knowing if there was going to be reconciliation on the other side. I've gone through seasons of feeling unseen and underappreciated and taken for granted. I've been broke to the point where I don't know if I'm going to be able to make rent the next month. I've gone through heartbreak. I've experienced a loss of friendships over the years, people I thought that I would grow old with. But here's my gift to God. Here's the glance of my eyes. This is the jewel of my necklace. This is my garden. I don't regret giving it all. I don't regret saying yes to him. I don't take any of it back. Today, knowing a bit more about what it cost, knowing a bit more about the sacrifice, knowing a bit more about the things I need to say no to in order to say yes to him, I get to tell him that he's still worthy of it. I get to give him my heart, all of it, unrestrained, unfiltered, with all my worries and complications and fears and doubts, I get to give myself wholly to him. I get to tell him, awake, O north wind, come south wind, blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruit. This is my garden, my heart to give to you, God, and I give it to you once again. Did you know that your yes has a weight to it? That it matters to God? It has the power to move God's heart. I believe that this is my main role as a pastor. My main role as a pastor isn't just to preach for 35 minutes, make sure that people are okay, you know, make sure that we have something happening every Sunday. My main role as a pastor, my main concern, whenever I have a conversation with anybody, whenever I'm preaching, whenever, my main concern is how do I open up someone's heart to God? How do I show them that he's so worthy? How do I show them that he's beautiful? How do I show them that he's worthy of the sacrifice and the suffering? That's all I want to do. All I'm doing here is standing here and testifying to his goodness. And I'm saying, isn't he beautiful? Isn't he faithful? Isn't he so compassionate and so kind and so patient? That's all I've been called to do. This whole book, that's all it talks about. This whole book, from the very beginning all the way to the very end, it's God's screaming proclamation of love over us. From the moment he walks in the garden in the cool of the day, all the way to the very end, we we're walking together, new heavens and new earth. From beginning to end, this is God's proclamation of love. He is page after page. She is screaming, do you not know that I love you? Do you not know that you move me? Do you not know that I want you? Not just y'all, you. I want you. 
I want you. Don't you know that I don't have any regrets? That I haven't changed my mind? That your sin doesn't scare me? That your weakness doesn't dissuade me from pursuing you? Don't you know that you're the one that I want? The one I will pursue until I have your whole heart. I will not let up. I will not back down. I will not be talked out of it. I will not be reasoned out of it. I will not be dissuaded. I will pursue you until I have your whole heart. That's what the Bible is about. Let me tell you, it's possible to live a life as a Christian distant from the Lord. It's a possibility. It's one of the options out there. And I can tell you that's true because I live a big chunk of my Christian life in that way. The Bible also talks, you know, he's talking to churches in the book of Revelation. He's talking to churches, not unbelievers. He's talking to churches and saying, hey, you've forgotten your first love. He's talking to believers. He's saying, you are living a life right now without love for me. He's talking to Laodicea and he's saying, I'm knocking at the door. I'm outside the church, by the way. I'm knocking at the door. If only you would open up to me, I would go in and have communion with you. I would have fellowship with you. It's possible to live a life as a Christian distant from the Lord. And my desire today is simply to plant this thought in your mind that that is not okay. That's not enough. You need to have a bigger vision for what this life is about. You have to have a bigger desire for what even church is about. It's not about just filling seats on Sunday. It's about, where's your heart? Are we giving Him our whole heart? Are we worshiping like we love Him? Are we praying to Him like He's our friend? Are we close to Him? Do we want more of Him? Do we have a vision for that in our lives? Do we have a vision for that in our church? I want to end with this. Um, Maybe we won't have... uh, Yes, sure, we'll have... On the first Thursday of this year, 2022, we had our first K-1 watch. And I felt really strongly during that watch that God was highlighting this idea of renewing our vows before Him. Or maybe the last two years have taken a toll on our hearts. Or maybe the last five years have taken a toll on our hearts. And we find it a little bit harder to open up. We find it a little bit harder to give Him full access We find it a little bit harder to say fully yes, wholeheartedly yes to Him. It felt like God was asking for us to renew our vows before Him. What good is it to gain the world but lose our souls? Do you know that 1 Corinthians 13, it says, you could speak the tongue of men and angels. You could do the most sacrificial thing. You could be a Mother Teresa here on earth. You could shape your life to be that way. And yet if you have not love, you've gained nothing. This is an ultimate matter. It doesn't matter what you do, it's how you do it. The reason, the, the, the driving force behind it, if it's love, then you've gained everything. If it's not, you've, you've gained nothing. Without love, you've gained nothing. Without love as the underlying motive, without love as the underlying force, all your works, all your efforts, all your New Year's resolutions, all your spiritual disciplines, all your good intentions, all 
of your good habits, all your sacrificial giving, it amounts to nothing. Jesus said there's going to be a day when he looks at someone and they say, hey, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all these amazing things in your name? And he's going to look to them and say, I don't know you. Depart from me. I, I don't know you. You did all these things, yes. Was there love in it? No. This is a matter of ultimate importance. My question to you today is, will your life matter in the end, in the way that counts to God? Not to man, not in your resume. Will it count to God? Will it have been well spent? This doesn't just happen casually. It's a choice. It's a priority. It's something that will be attacked by the enemy. He will distract you with all kinds of things, not necessarily bad things. He's going to distract you from the ultimate thing because that's what idolatry is. Will you choose to give in your yes once again? It doesn't need to be grand. It can just be as small as a glance. It can just be as small as a jewel of your necklace. Just something tiny. Maybe the person next to you won't even notice. Maybe your spouse won't even notice. Maybe your friends won't even notice. But will you give him your yes? Will you move his heart today with your yes once again? I have a dream for this church. That it would be a church that more than anything else, it gives herself to Jesus without reservation not because she doesn't know any better but because she has counted the cost because she has gone through seasons of hardship and has come out the other side with a full resounding wholehearted weighty yes that is my heart for this church So I want us to simply close our eyes just for a minute and come before the Lord. The first question that I want us to ask God privately, personally, it is where are we in our relationship? What is the state of my heart before you, God? You're the God who knows all things. You guys, you are able to see through my defense mechanisms. You're able, you're able to see through my walls. What is the state of my heart before you? Have I become numb over time? And I've hardened over time. Had I become cynical and distrusting over time? Have I begun to calculate and ration over time? Have I become begun to put conditions on my love? Have I begun to withhold parts of my heart? What is the state of my heart? second question and second prayer for us today simply 
God, would you help us? You know the cost. You know what it costs me to say yes to you. Would you help me? Would you aid me in opening my heart to you fully once again? Would you help me overcome those fears? Would you help me overcome those hesitations? Those what ifs? What if you fail? What if I'm left hanging? What if I'm setting myself up for disappointment? Would you help us? Would you help us, God? You see to the depths of our hearts. You see what it costs us. And we still want to say yes to you. we say that you are worthy even in times where we cannot see you clearly even in times where we cannot hear your voice clearly we say that you are worthy of our lives you're worthy of our full affection you're worthy of our sacrifice we say that there's no one like you God who else could we give our heart to where else can we go who has the words of life knows us deeply and embraces us fully who is big enough to deal with our sins and our shortcomings with his mercy and his grace who is able to take something so broken and mend it and make it new who else could we entrust our lives with our plans with our future with our family with where else can we go Who else can we turn to? We say that we belong to you. We say that we are yours. I am my beloved's and he is mine. I am my beloved's and he is mine. You rejoice over us even right now. You look down on us with eyes of love even right now. You see what we're going through in our lives and you pursue us nonetheless. And so with whatever energy we have, whatever surrender we have in our hearts, we choose to turn our eyes and fix them on you. It's one glance that we give to you today. We choose to say yes to you once again. receive this offering this living sacrifice may be pleasing in your sight
And may we live all the days of our lives going after this one thing. This one thing that we've asked. One thing that we desire. One thing that we seek. Jesus, you're the beginning and you are the end. We say yes to you today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.